Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, pastor at Hope, and we are so glad that you are listening in. We would love to connect with you in person at our Sunday gathering. In the meantime, we hope this message points you to Jesus, the reason we gather. With hope you know this, we've been walking through the Bible. Usually we go through the Bible one verse at a time. And for this past year, since September, we have been walking through the Bible one book at a time. So we don't miss the big picture of the Bible. So we don't miss the story. Well, we started this journey eight months ago with the book of Genesis. Who was there? Anybody? We were there. And today we are actually finishing what is called the Old Testament. All the books of the Bible that precede and lead up to the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, we are now finishing the Old Testament. And we're doing that with the book, well, first and second, Chronicles. We saved Chronicles for last because it's actually the last book in the Hebrew Bible. It's not organized that way in our English Bibles, but it is organized that way in the Hebrew Bible, even though it is the last scroll. Hebrews, though, I'm sorry. Chronicles is not new information. I want you to take a look at this slide. Here we have an actual outline, a rough outline of 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And you'll see for yourself that this is really nothing new. You have Adam, you have Israel, you have the land, you have King David, you have the reign of King Solomon, David's son, and you have the building of the temple, and then you have the mostly terrible kings of Judah, and then you have exile, right? And then you have a return from exile. And if you've been walking with us, none of this is new. But as many people point out, Chronicles tells the story that we all know in a very different way. It tells the story in a different way because it tells the story to a different audience. So, Samuel and Kings, we walked through that. That was written to a people who were experiencing the spiritual trauma of exile. They were asking the question, why God? Why is this happening? And so what we find in Kings is a highlighting of the failures of the kings over and over and over and over again. Well, Chronicles is written to a different audience, okay? Keep that in your mind. It is written to people experiencing the spiritual renewal of return. Israel was rebuilding. Do you remember last week? Cyrus was saying, come back and rebuild. And so the chronicler tells the same story, but to a different audience and so in a different way. So the quote in Lee Dickinson, tell the truth, but tell it slant. And that's what the chronicle does. The chronicler tells us exactly what we already know, but in a different way. We do this all the time, actually. When I tell the story, my story of how I came to know Jesus, I, sh- I sort of sh- change it. I don't change the facts, but I change how I tell the story according to who I'm talking to. And that's what we have here. The Chronicler tells us what we already know, but in a different way, and in this way in particular, to stoke hope. And maybe that's you this morning. You're cautiously optimistic, or maybe you have lost hope this morning. And what you need most is for the Lord to stoke those embers into flame. How could this ancient book that most of us skip over, let's be honest, 
How could this ancient book called Chronicles do that? Well, let's pray before we see. Lord, would the words of my mouth and would the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you? You are our rock, you are our redeemer. And by your Holy Spirit, we ask for the miracle that Jesus would be more beautiful at the end of this time than he is in our hearts right now. That is what we most need, more than anything else in the world. Jesus, our hearts need to sing at the beauty of Jesus. That's what we need, Lord, and so we ask it, and we ask it your grant in his name. Amen. Well, I have a cookbook on my cook shelf, on my, on my shelf. I have a cookbook shelf. <laughs> so uh, this, this is called A Family Meal, Home Cooking with Ferran Adrio. Okay? So this is a Spanish kind of avant-garde chef. But what he does is he likes to cook food with his team. And he calls it his family meal. So this is a, a real kind of gathering of all of his favorite family meal dishes. And what I love about this cookbook is that it's not just a collection of random dishes like most cookbooks. But in this cookbook, it is arranged by three course meals. There's an appetizer. There's a main dish. And there's a dessert. I don't know about figs with cream and fish, but... There's a dirt, there's a dessert, just about every single one. I don't know, know if that's going to taste good is what I mean. Probably is amazing. So for him, making a meal is like telling a story. And so the appetizer is connected to the main dish. It's designed, the appetizer, to make you hungry. And to make you hungry specifically for the main course. Here's how one restaurant defines the appetizer. Appetizers improve your appetite. They complement the main dish by stimulating your appetite without filling you up. In France, appetizers were called hors d'oeuvres, which means outside the masterpiece. Sadly, we've lost the art of the appetizer, at least in my experience. I learned this when I was in Palestine. Palestinian cuisine has the medicine. Before you can even think about the main course, the table is spilling over with these tiny bowls and plates with just meticulously and carefully and lovingly prepared bowls and plates of olives and chopped salads and yogurts and tahini and veggies and eggs and bite-sized fish and bite-sized meat. And so all of this is meant to stoke the appetite, not to eliminate it. It's food, in other words, it tells a story. If you think about it, it tells a story. The appetizer says, this is good, but the best is yet to come. This is good, but the masterpiece is coming. This is good, but it's outside of the masterpiece. It is a hors d'oeuvre. And friends, this is how I want us to think of Chronicles. And really, all of the Old Testament. What we have read so far is good. It is very good. The masterpiece is coming. Eight months ago, we got a taste of Eden, didn't we? In Genesis 1 and 2, God was intimately close with humanity. No shame, no sin, no systemic evil or injustice. The Hebrew word for this is shalom. You might have heard of this word before. And you can actually think of shalom as a family meal. All the food, all the people, the atmosphere... Everything overlapping and linking together into something bigger than the sum of its parts. But when humans were connected to God 
and to each other. It's all of creation. That was called shalom. When humans are connected to God, and when humans are connected to each other, and to all of creation, even integrated with themselves, that is something that is captured by the Hebrew word shalom. When they're safe in God's care, when life is as it ought to be, that is shalom. And like I said, we had a taste of this shalom in the garden, but sin unraveled this tapestry. Sin upended these tables, didn't it? It poisoned the wine. One scholar defines sin as vandalism of shalom. Just scroll your newsfeed. It's vandalism of shalom. And so ever since our parents and us after them were exiled from Eden and we have been starving for this place. My dog is on a diet. Some of you know this. Long story short, I paid zero attention to how much I was feeding my dog, which works fine when they're puppies apparently, but it doesn't work fine when they get older. And now our dog is older. So our vet gave us a talking to and gave poor Dewey a diet. Well, our dog was already what you could call food motivated. Okay? But now he's just next level. He's always sniffing, he's always searching, and he's never finding. Because we were so careful not to drop food. You could drop a pencil on the ground, and our dog would come rushing from wherever he is laying down in hopes that this is some kind of food that he could eat. Well, it's like that kind of hunger that we have for Shalom, friends. We are like sniffing around for Shalom in all kinds of different places, with studies, with sex, with securities, with sports, with what Elizabeth Dreschler calls the four F's of contemporary spirituality. The four F's of contemporary spirituality, family, friends, food, and fighting. Well, that's like the hunger we have for Shalom of Eden. We're searching, but never finding. And deep down, we're looking for lasting connection and lasting protection. Isn't that right? Isn't that what we're looking for? We live in a constant state of disconnection. Fragmentation, isolation. And what we deeply hunger for is connection. And every day, with protection, aren't we afraid that the foot is going to drop? Most of us are running scared this morning. We are starved and starving for connection and protection. We are starving for sure. All you have to do is look at the screen time report on your iPhone. The apps we use, I think, are signposts to our hunger. The other day I was looking at Verbo because I'm just looking for that perfect place that our family can go to get away and to restore and to regenerate. Behind that search, do you know, friends, is a longing for Shalom. Is a longing, is a, is a hunger for the real thing. Well, the Chronicler would say to you this morning, I know. I know, and I know you hunger. Let me point you to the only thing that will satisfy. In fact, let me stoke your hunger 
even more in pointing to the place you'll find satisfaction. It's not in the spirituality. It's not in an ideology. It's not in an ism. It's in a person. Shalom, friends, is found in a person. Chronicles is one massive appetizer for his masterpiece. And his name is Jesus. When you read Chronicles, you will get hungry. For a good authority. A good authority that gives you real protection. When you read Chronicles, you will get hungry for a good priest. A stand between, really, who will give you connection. Not just with others, but ultimately with the Lord who you made for. And if you can believe it, this is the big takeaway of Chronicles. First and second. In fact, if you have a Bible open and you took a look, you'll notice in the first nine chapters as you just flip the pages that you have one giant family tree. Or what's called a genealogy. This is Israel's family tree. But the chronicler highlights two branches in particular. Branch one is the branch of Judah. Branch two is the branch of Levi. Now, Bible trivia time. Why are these two tribes significant? Think about it. Judah is the line of kings. Levi is the line of priests. Yes, you've been listening all year. This is great. And so right away, we are served an appetizer, aren't we? We're served an appetizer for a king of all kings and for a priest of all priests. The tree, in other words, is not fully grown. The tree, in other words, is unfinished. This itself is longing for fulfillment. The genealogy is an appetizer waiting for the masterpiece. An offspring of Adam and Eve. The very genealogy begins with Adam. And so we're longing right away for an offspring, a child of Eve, who will finally make things right. Who will restore Eden. Who will crush the serpent and offer protection. Who will restore Eden and bring connection. And the rest of this book, Chronicles, is the same thing, but just in story form. We read about kings, and we read about priests, at their best and at their worst. And in the end, they all fall short. So again, the Chronicles, they feed us, just like all of the Old Testament. But they also leave us starving. It's like a great appetizer. It's carefully crafted. It's good. It's necessary. But it makes you hungry. And this time for a priest king who will bring shalom. If there's a hunger beneath all of your deepest hungers this morning, this hunger, as I said, for connection and protection, what if that hunger is only met in a king who protects, in a priest who connects? What if you're hungry for Jesus, who brings both? I just want to talk about these two words and how Jesus brings them to close our time. So first with connection. Jesus answers this hunger for connection. Remember, priests get the spotlight in Chronicles. They get the spotlight in the genealogy, so you just look at You can just scan. Again, if you have your Bible, you can just turn the page and look at chapter 6. And you'll see... And then look at chapters 15 and 16. And you'll see in chapters 23 through 25. And then if you're in 2 Chronicles, you'll see again in chapters 3 through 7. And then there's revivals in the late chapters of 
Chronicles 2. Chapters 29-31 is this revival from King Hezekiah. And guess what? The priests are all leading this revival. And then Josiah, another king, leads another revival in chapters 34-35. And guess what? The priests are leading, leading these revivals. David, King David, in fact, sort of gives the priests, and he like reads Leviticus, and he sort of says, you know what? I'm going to give you guitarists, and you're going to start singing. And that's what happens in Chronicles as well. And so all of this stuff is happening in Chronicles, and all of it is making you long for connection, for worship, for true worship. And yes, the priests themselves are offering sacrifices all the time. There are so many sacrifices going on in Chronicles. Why? For atonement. We talked about this word. Atonement is a three-in-one word. At one meant. At one meant. Atonement. Sacrifice, in other words, in God's story, makes us at one with God. You see, sin separates Sin separates everything. It's like a wedge. It separates us from God. It separates us from each other. It separates us even from an integrated self. But the one thing that can bring us together is atonement. And God provides a means of atonement. It's through His sacrificial system. We talked about this. But even His sacrifices in the book of Chronicles leaves us hanging. First of all, priests have to atone over and over and over and over again. And we see that happening over and over and over again. It's never ending because our sin is never ending. But second of all, as Al-Gulye points out, an animal's will is not involved in the sacrifice. And third, while the temple itself is destroyed in the last chapter of Chronicles. And yes, it gets rebuilt, but things are just never the same. So enter Jesus. Who is the final great high priest who finishes this endless cycle of sacrifices because he himself is divine. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And who's not just an animal sacrifice with no say, but who willingly endures the cross for the joy that's set before him. Who is God in flesh, and who is the substance, the masterpiece that the whole temple and sacrificial system points to? The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, says the author of Hebrews. Hebrews tells us that the best of the law is still a shadow. And Jesus, who alone resolves the separation you feel, that separation you feel, Jesus alone resolves with his work as high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. What are those weaknesses? Call them the mind. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. That is the connection, friends, beneath all of your hunger for connection. Do you believe that? You can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. With confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When you're tuning a guitar, when you're tuning a guitar, I know from experience that you can actually feel the thing when it gets in tune. Like the sound waves just sort of slow down and the instrument itself resonates and it's just a fuller feeling. My son would tell me that the sound of the cello does the same thing. When he tunes his cello, it's as if it just you can almost feel it in tune. You don't just hear it. You feel it. And then other notes are ringing. These sympathetic notes start picking up on 
the vibrations, and it's glorious. And a musician friend of mine says that when a string quartet is all in tune, it sounds like angels sing. Sin means we are forever out of tune with God, left to ourselves. And therefore, we are forever out of tune even with ourselves and with this world, this good world that God made. It creates, to use a Bible word, enmity, separation. In Chronicles, we get a picture of this. In Chronicles 21, David, King David sees an angel with an unsheathed sword standing over Jerusalem. Talk about out of tune. This was because of the census of David. We talked about this a few sermons ago. But David buys a flat rock and makes it the altar of the future temple that his son Solomon will build. And God receives the sacrifice on this altar. And the angel sheaths his judging sword because of the sacrifice in its place. And friends, this all points to the high priest Jesus. Who puts us in tune with God again. Who puts the sun, I'm sorry, the sin judging sword away forever. Because on the cross of Jesus, the judge received judgment. Amen? The judge, the priest himself received judgment for our sins. He alone brought atonement. He alone makes us one again with the Lord. And provides a relationship with us. Sin can no longer separate you from the love of God. If your trust is in Jesus... Is He paid the price. He endured the condemnation in your place. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. There is none. And you may be here this morning feeling condemned. And you might even know in your mind that you are forgiven in Jesus. I want to say again that Jesus endured condemnation for all of your sin, past, present, and future. There is no condemnation left for you. There is not. How could there be? We'd be calling God a liar. And Jesus' work on the cross insufficient. No, no. Jesus is our high priest. And he connects us to God. I want to ask real quick, how are you coping with this culture of fragmentation right now? In isolation? What toll is it taking on your body and your soul? This us-them... The intensity of fragmentation that's happening with our families, with our culture. What's how is that? What is like? Let's just take stock right now. Just take stock. How are you coping with this? What if the connection that you are hungry for is only met in Jesus, the wounded healer, who draws you into the very life of God, where there is no fragmentation for all of eternity? Connection. I want to say Jesus alone brings protection as well. Over and over again in Chronicles, a king ascends the throne. So we see a lot of priests doing their thing. We see a lot of kings doing their thing. And often the king is not doing the thing that God is wanting them to do on top of it all. Ascension. When a king ascends the throne, that is a big deal in Israel. Especially for the house of Judah. Why is that so? I'll read one verse from chapter 17. Verse 11. God says, When your days are over, David, and you go to be with your ancestors, I will rise up, raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. 
And he is the one who will build a house for me. And I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And I will never take my love away from him. As I took it away from your predecessor, Saul. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. So who is this forever king? Who ascends a forever throne? It isn't David, God says so. And it isn't Solomon. Solomon actually divides the kingdom. We have to wait for this forever king and his forever throne. Which is why in the Gospel of Matthew, the genealogy that Matthew begins his Gospel with says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the King. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the anointed King. The forever King with a forever throne. This is his family tree. The son of David. The son of David. The son of Abraham. This is the forever king with the forever throne. And this alone is your protection. David Banner describes what it takes to float in water. And if you swim, you know how to swim, you know this struggle, right? It's a paradox. If you thrash, you sink. But if you rest, I mean, if you really surrender your body to the water, it's just a miracle. You, you float. It's, it's weird. You would think it's the other way around. Well, it's the same in all of life. I can't sleep, actually, unless I surrender. You know what I mean? I'm talking about like physical sleep. I can't sleep unless I surrender. And I can't surrender unless I know I'm safe. And this is what the ascension of King Jesus alone Isaiah 30, 15 says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Can I ask, are you restless? How are you coping in this era of chaos? Or whatever is chaotic in your soul, or whatever is chaotic in the walls of your house, or the walls of your workplace, or the walls of your dorm. The stock market's crazy, the banks are closing, major countries in our world are at war, are poised for war. The election cycle, I'm sorry to say, is just like a year away. There's chaos everywhere. How are you coping? I want to say there is rest, and you only rest. Is at the foot of the throne of King Jesus. Under which is calm. Are you longing for security? Are you longing for an authority who is not just powerful enough to protect you, but compassionate enough to want you? I mean, are you thrashing through life but sinking deeper? Well, again, the chronicler would say, I have hope for you, but it's only in Jesus. Jesus who used his authority to bless, to die. Jesus who ascended the throne, but not before he ascended the cross. The King Jesus who is on his forever throne, but who has scars and forever will bear them. Everything under his authoritative hand is marked by scars.
that he endured out of love for you. Jesus, who is not only a king powerful enough to protect, but loving enough to desire to protect at the cost of his own life. So Jesus alone, friends, fulfills our hunger for sure, for connection and for protection. And he does this with his crown and with his cross. See, your two core longings in life are connection and protection. And these things are only offered in the cross and crown of Jesus. Safety and intimacy. Both. And we need both. Because the cross without the crown means that we have an authority in our life that is compassionate, but not able to do anything about the fears that we face. But the crown without the cross in our life means that we have a Savior who is an authority but is not tender and has not done what is necessary to bring us into the life of God. Maura Aaron's Maley says this in the Harvard Business Review. Social psychologist Amy Cuddy says that we need leaders who exhibit both warmth and strength. Jesus is both as high priest and as king of kings. And to perfection, he offers his cross and his crown to tired souls. And he alone causes dancing. Many of you know in Chronicles, this is how we'll close this morning, but in Chronicles, David dances. Why? David dances with sort of this abandonment that causes other people to, to be embarrassed, frankly. The king shouldn't dance like this, but why is he dancing? He's dancing. Because the priests were in the temple and the king was on the throne and he was longing for that moment. Well, if that causes David to dance, how much more us who know Jesus, the true high priest and the true king of kings. Friends, Jesus alone brings shalom. Are you resting in him? Or do we actually come to you now and some of us are thrashing. We're thrashing in the water and what now what we would do is surrender. We surrender under your care. And through your cross, we experience, maybe for the first time this morning, closeness with you, relationship with you. We've been at war. But Lord, on the cross, you put the judging sword away because of what Jesus did. Absorbing the penalty of our sin, putting it away. Before he ascended that cross, he lived perfect life of righteousness. By the Spirit, we are united to Him in His resurrection. So now, we stand in total and complete freedom and safety. Forever. We have a taste of Shalom in Jesus. Thanks for listening in. For more resources like this and to learn more about hope, please visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org